0: Welcome to Between the Times, a podcast of Christ Church Presbyterian in Charleston, South Carolina. This is episode 134, and my name is Gabriel Williams, and I'm here with my pastor, Pastor John Payne. How are you doing, John? Yeah, doing well, brother. So good to be here with you again today. Good being with you. So for today, what we want to talk about is a topic that we have discussed a number of times uh, within the Romans series that you've been preaching. And this is on the concept and the doctrine of the mortification of sin. And the main passage that we often focus on with this is Romans chapter 8 verses 13 and 14. And so, I guess what we would do here is just to discuss some observations regarding this, and just really encourage us as Christian believers to take this duty of mortification very seriously.
1: Yeah, it's it's antiquated language, isn't it? Uh, I mean, your your modern ear will think, "What in the world are you talking about, mortification?" <laughs> it, it, it sounds uh, sort of you know dark and and strange, but. Uh, mortification is is an act whereby we are killing remaining indwelling sin, mm-hmm. and and so we've learned, of course, uh, in our study of Romans, that while sin has lost its reigning place in the life of the Christian, mm-hmm. um, while while sin no longer enslaves the Christian. Uh, sin still remains in the Christian. That's right. So as Thomas Watson says, though Christians no longer live in sin, sin lives in them. That's right. Uh, And and, and so it's just an important thing to remember that as we are growing in Christ – We are called not to be passive, but to be active in our sanctification. And Paul makes this clear, doesn't he, in Romans chapter 8, as he says in Romans 8, beginning in verse 12, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death, there's that mortification language, you put to death the deeds of the body you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And so, Paul is bringing together a a whole number of different concepts here. Uh, Our our sonship, which we discussed in our previous episode uh, on this podcast, Uh, he's bringing together the idea of being free Uh, in Christ, no longer debtors to the flesh. Now we are debtors to the Spirit, as it were. We yield to the Spirit now. We no longer yield to the flesh. And so, what does that mean? Well, it means that if we are being led by the Spirit and not by the flesh, it means that we are seeking to kill remaining indwelling sin, which the flesh, as Paul uses it, represents um the remaining indwelling sinful desires and mm-hmm. and the actions that take place with our bodies in, mm-hmm. in our lives and uh, so so the christian life is an active one growing in christ is not passive we are actively seeking to grow in christ and
0: the negative part of that is the killing of indwelling sin it's important to remember that in the passage it speaks about the deed to the body in the present which means that even though there is indwelling sin still there, that really just means that the sin is still active, working in the believer. It is not in the sense that that sin is going to lead to the condemnation of Christians, but it is still active. And the reality is that if this indwelling sin is left alone, like any given cancer, it's going to grow, and it's going to grow into worse and greater sins. The way that John Owen tends to describe this is that you have scandalous sins, and then you have soul-destroying sins. And the reality is that, we know this from experience, that the sins that we tend to ignore, that we tend to wink at, are the sins that grow to becoming perhaps addictions, or even for some long-established sort of habits and so part of the necessity of killing sin is the reality that sin doesn't take a vacation it doesn't take a break sin is actively working to grow and it is the duty of the christian to make sure that they are actively doing their duty and putting this sin to death.
1: Uh, it's kind of like there's a personification of sin in the way that the Bible speaks of sin and uh, the way that John Owen, of course, <laughs> speaks of sin in his classic work on the mortification of sin, because, and the way John Bunyan speaks yeah. about it in the Holy War, right? That mm-hmm. there's essentially in the Christian a kind of war where christ is now the lord of your life he Mm -hmm. sits on the throne of your life but there are insurgents called sin, and you could give those insurgents names if you want, like Bunyan does in some of his (laughs) works. You know, you have the sins of pride, the sins Mm -hmm. of lust, the sins of anger, the sins of grudges and unforgiveness, all these different sins, Mm -hmm. and they never totally go away this side of heaven, right? That's right. And so I've been trying to use the analogy of putting our sins on life support. Mm -hmm. We know our sin, we know pride is never going to completely go away this side of heaven. Yep. But we want to keep pride on life support, so that it's not growing and taking over our life. Mm. Um, Gabe, I want to um, to read from a, uh, from the Mortific- mortification of sin by John Owen, uh, a wonderful passage on this okay. very point of of mortification being understood as a weakening mm. of the flesh, or of lust, or of pride, or, or whatever sin you want to mention. And he says this quote. The first thing in mortification is the weakening of the habit of sin or lust, so that it shall not, with that violence, earnestness, and frequency, rise up and conceive, provoke, entice, and disquiet as it naturally has tendency to do. James 1, 14 and 15. This is called crucifying the flesh with its passions and desires. Mm. Galatians 5, 24. We seek to take away that about it which gives it its strength and power. We aim at the killing of the body of death day by day, 2 Corinthians 4.16. When a man is nailed to the cross, he at first struggles. "...strives and cries out with great strength and might. But as his blood and spirits waste... His strivings are faint and seldom. His cries low and hoarse and scarce to be heard. So when a man first determines to conquer a lust or sin and to deal with it in earnest, it struggles with great violence to break loose. It cries with earnestness and impatience to be satisfied and relieved. By mortification, the blood and spirits of it are let out. It moves seldom and faintly, cries sparingly, and is scarce heard in the heart. It may sometimes have a dying pang that makes an appearance of great vigor and strength, but it is quickly over, especially if it is kept from considerable success. Mm -hmm. This Paul describes in Romans 6. Sin, he says, is crucified. It is fastened to the cross to what end? That the body of sin might be brought to nothing. The power of sin is weakened and abolished little by little so that we should no longer be enslaved to sin, that is, so that sin should not be our master and control us as before. This includes not only our fleshly desires, but those of the mind and the will which are in opposition to God. How clarifying is that, Gabe, and how encouraging it is to us uh, who continue to fight indwelling sin sin, but knowing that as we grow and we mature as believers, that those sins can be weakened Mm -hmm. to the point where they're on life support and we're able to be more useful and faithful Christians in our lives.
0: And I think the wording he used was great on doing violence to your sin, because much of Paul's exhortations regarding sin is connected to spiritual warfare. And if we put it in that framework, it gives you a sense of how you would practically go about the duty of putting this into death. So for example, think about any sort of war that occurs. There is substantial planning. There is foresight associated with it. There is a intentionality to make sure that the enemy is not just Defeated in a you know in a normal sense, but you want to make sure that it cannot rise up again. So that means there are plans before you strive against sin. There are plans to use during the actual fight and moments of temptation, and then there's actual plans after you believe you have have victory over that sin. So, the, the common example that has... And, and weapons. Yeah, yeah exactly. Weapons. And weapons. there's weapons to the warfare as well. Some of the common examples that uh, will take something that men will often struggle with is uh, sexual immorality. And when it comes to sexual immorality, those three ideas are prevalent. You have planning before you actually begin that fight, which means you analyze yourself to see what are the triggers that cause you to go into moments of temptation. You look at what happens when temptation happens, you have your sword of the spirit ready for battle, and that means you have hidden the word in your heart, you are constantly meditating upon the word, and you have removed the sort of things that can bring that to light. But even after a person has had success killing sin in this particular area, there's always the wisdom to making sure that you're not inviting that sin to grow again. And so on both sides, on all three sides, before, during, and after, sin is a war that you have to constantly watch. And that's why when Paul talks about this in terms of warfare, the picture that's meant to come to your mind is that it is intentional driven effort led ultimately by the Spirit of God who gives you the strength to wield the sword, the spirit. You know,
1: this struggle with remaining indwelling sin is, is real for every Christian, mm-hmm. no matter what age. Um, but there's a strength of sin in the life of a young person mm-hmm. that can be quite extraordinary and violent, as it were, Mm. and uh, strong, uh, because of just the vigor for life, Mm. uh, the drive that's there. And interestingly, John Owen, uh, in the the 17th century, preached this series on the mortification of sin to college students, to Mm. his students at Oxford University. And uh, so, asking this question, Gabe, is an important one. Um, When – whether you are uh, older, whether you are uh, sort of old, whether you are uh, young, and, and you have not done well, you have given into temptation, you, you have allowed that remaining indwelling sin to rise up and to, uh, to, uh, to take over even for a time. Like, How do you re- understand that in light of God's grace
0: and forgiveness? This is one of the beautiful aspects of the promise of the gospel, that when we talk about mortification of sin, we are not saying that you need to kill your sins so that you are accepted by God and therefore are assured of your standing before Him. That's not the idea here. The reality is that when a sinner falls, as Proverbs says, he must rise again. When a Christian falls, the same thing is also true. That when you've fallen into sin, the idea here is not to wallow in that sin and basically give yourself a pity party because the reality is that what satan desires for you to do is to stop fighting now this is something that appears pretty often in uh, pilgrim's progress in terms of the analogy to spiritual warfare mm-hmm. where it says that a pilgrim can never be fully overcome until he completely gives up or until he gives up his will And that's the same encouragement to the Christian. Yes, you may have fallen for years into a sin, but the pilgrim, the one following after Christ, will not be overcome unless he completely despairs and gives up. And realize that when you have fallen, God has given you the grace through his spirit to make you rise again so that you stand up. The other encouragement that's basically given here is to realize that for a Christian, Apart from just your normal, you can say, the tools that you use in your individual life, he has given you brothers and sisters in the church. He has given you the church to both encourage you in your fights and to lift you when you're fallen. And so often what will happen for many is that when they have fallen to perhaps even awful sins, they will stop coming to church because they feel so ashamed to come before the people of God. Yes. Yes. But it's the opposite that is true. When you have fallen, you need your brothers and sisters to rally around you, to lift you up. You need those men and those women to speak the Word of God to you so that you are encouraged to stand up again and to continue to fight.
1: We're taught in Ephesians 6 that we're in a spiritual battle. Mm-hmm. And God does not want us to engage in that battle alone. Mm-hmm. It's an important point you make, Gabe. We, we need the church. And we need the means of grace. We need the faithful preaching of the word of God, the faithful preaching of the gospel to remind us uh, of our salvation, to remind us of our inheritance, to remind us that we are God's children saved by grace with the uh, spirit of adoption indwelling us and reminding us of our privileged position and our, our need for Christ, our need for grace. Yes, the devil can confuse us and he can pull us away, uh, but we need to maintain that commitment and devotion to the church. We not only need preaching, we also need the sacraments. We need to remember our baptism and all that it represents and symbolizes in terms of God's love for us and His name being placed on us. We need to to come to the Lord's table uh, to be reminded of God's love for us, of Christ's death for us, of the Spirit's work in us. Uh, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, Mm. and we need to remember prayer. And we need to be amidst the prayers of God's people on the Lord's day, uh, for the Lord has promised to use prayer to embolden us and strengthen our faith, and and to remember God's promises. And so, it's just really important that as we think about this fight with remaining indwelling sin, that we know that we are not alone. Amen. That the Spirit is with us, that Christ is with us, that the Father loves us and is holding us in His hand, and we have the Church. That's right. We have the 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 elders and the pastors in the church, with the deacons serving the church, we have the congregants loving and serving one another uh, and also being a witness to the world. We are not alone. And so, as you, dear Christian, may struggle with some pattern of sin right now, something that is afflicting you and, and you're struggling with, uh, just know that you are not alone and that God uh, invites you to repent and to look to Christ for forgiveness, and to look to your brothers and sisters for comfort and encouragement uh, in the future.
0: Amen. And this is, to again, to repeat that encouragement to those who are listening, who are in the midst of that uh, fight itself. Uh, realize that you are not fighting your battle alone. Uh, you are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, those that you cannot see, because they are currently triumphing with Christ in glory. And with those you do see, that you have brothers around you who are fighting sins that you may not know about. And the reality of these things is that we are fighting this war together and we are promised in the gospel that we are not going to lose this war. We are gonna be those who will be translated with, we're gonna be translated into glory with Christ. He is going to, At the end of the day, uh, when he comes again to redeem his children, he is going to complete the work that he has started in full. What you're doing now in terms of your warring against sin and growing in grace, it's going to be completed in perfection on that last day. And that's why you should not lose hope. Because there is hope in Christ, for he will finish what he has accomplished.
1: Amen. That'll get you out of bed in the morning and <laughs> it will motivate you to worship, uh, to uh, continue on the path of discipleship, and to reach out to others. Um, our own uh, confession of faith, the Westminster Confession, has a wonderful statement on sanctification. And uh, in the second paragraph, it states this. The sa- this sanctification is throughout the whole man, mm-hmm. yet imperfect in this life. There abideth still some remnants of corruption in every part of us, whence ariseth a continual and irreconcilable war, the flesh lusting after the Spirit, and the Spirit against excuse me the flesh lusting against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh Uh, so these are reinforcing everything we've said and it's important isn't it gabe to to say in addition that human depravity touches every part of Mm -hmm. man mind will heart affections human depravity sin has the extent of sin is 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 total Uh, It goes to every part of us. But here's the good news. When brought into union with Christ, sanctification works in every part of us. And so while the will, the mind, the heart, the affections are corrupted by sin at the fall, when we are in Adam, when we are brought into union with Christ, the Holy Spirit begins to work on us and renovate us Mm -hmm. in every part, our mind, our heart, our will and affection. So when you think about your life uh five years ago or 10 years mm-hmm. ago or or 20 years ago or 30 years ago or if you're a lot older 50 years ago mm-hmm. you will see the evidence of the spirit's work in your life amen. as you have grown to love him more and to love sin uh, less and
0: praise the Lord for that work of grace amen well we hope you've been encouraged by uh, this podcast to Continue to do what you have been doing in putting the death, the deed to the body, and to growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We hope that you would come again to hear us next time on Between the Times.